I've, I've asked Catherine a few questions just to kind of get us going this evening. And I want her to, I want her to kind of prime the pump for where we're headed for the next few minutes. The verse we're going to be looking at, it's Luke 138. And it's this line where Mary at the end, you can go ahead and turn there if you want to go ahead and turn to Luke. That's where we're going to be camped out. This, the angel comes to Mary and gives her this whole discourse on that she's going to be the mother of Jesus. And her line at the end of that discourse, she says, behold, the servant of the Lord, may it be to me, may it be unto me, oh, is that, am I saying it right? There we go. Let it be according to me, or let it be to me, there we go, easy for me to say. Let it be to me according to your word. And I love that last line, let it be to me according to your word. I was reading in my quiet time the other day, in the morning, one morning last week, and I got to this line, and it just stopped me. Why, why don't more people say the same thing to God? Let it be to me, God, according to your word. Let, let's do it, whatever you want. But I think we're going to dig into that a little bit. It's a simple response that she gives, but not a simple life to live. So, Catherine, you're going to hear some of Catherine's testimony when? This coming Sunday? Uh, two Sundays from now, getting baptized, December 12th, yeah. 11 a.m., you're all invited. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. You're all invited. I didn't expect you'd ask me that. Now, how, how long, and so when you give your testimony, if you haven't seen one of those, when you get baptized, you give your testimony. So you're going to hear more of her testimony. But then I'm going to have Catherine back because in the new year, we're going to start January off with Jesus in the Exodus. So the book of Exodus and all these moments where you see Christ in the book of Exodus. And there's a part where in the story of the Exodus, I think the rest of Catherine's story will really fit in. So we're going to bring her back in either January or early February and have her share more. But you, you, you came down here from New York, is that right? NYC, yep. When was that? That was uh, the summer of 2020 when the pandemic reared its head. Okay. Yep. And you came down here, but then... I talked to you on a Tuesday night, and it was a really bizarre conversation. <laughs> it was your first time here, yeah. and I thought, all right, well, maybe like recreational drugs is what she does. I'm not sure. Like it was like a, like it was like a, it like all made sense, but it was like, is that real? Like it was so, so different. So what? Tell me, re refresh. Uh, come, 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 join my I mind in, here. I came in hot. <laughs> yeah. Because you spoke to me in like a very precise way. Um, and it was my first night here, and I just had to tell you, and you were like, who are you? <laughs> and I was like, you, you just spoke to my heart. Um, I had been praying for community for around six months at that time, and um, oh, what was it that you said? Oh, no. Um, I think I probably said something really profound, like, what brought you here? <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I remember showing up, coming up to you and just saying, Thomas, so this morning, I heard about Christ's covenant through a text of a random girl who lives in Austin. And she texted me that I should check out Christ's covenant. And I was laying in, like, I was at a friend's apartment um, in Chicago. And yeah, this was the part where I was like, I don't know if this is real. 
Okay, go ahead, yeah. Yeah, too much information. I was laying in bed, like, with a friend and uh, one of my girlfriends who I went to college with. We had a reunion, and I was uh, looking at Christ Covenant's website and um, saw Tuesday night gathering young adults, and I had, like, a noon flight. So I was like, cool, I'm going to finally find, hopefully, the church I belong to. And I flew in, and I, like, went home, and I came here. And then you spoke something in your sermon, and on top of just feeling very much like at home when I walked through the doors, that I just was like, I found my home or something, and I came up really excited, and I told you I had flown in, and it was a dramatic story, and you were like, cool, will we see you again? And I was like, that's what I'm trying to say, you'll see me all the time. (laughs) And it was, yeah, he was like, okay, cool. (laughs) See you, see you around? Yeah. I'm like pretty level a lot of the time and Catherine was like up here and I was just thinking, I don't know if we'll ever see her again. She'll probably go to every other church in the city and I don't know. And then we can't shake her. No, you really spoke to me, Tops. I was serious. It was just the fact that you were in Chicago. You were like, I was in Chicago this morning and I was like, all right. And then watching you around here, obviously the Lord has done a work in your life. It wasn't recreational drugs. It was, it was the Lord. And you've really been, like, your enthusiasm, your passion, your zeal really is something that has been transformed in you, not from diligence, not from lots of study, not from, like, I really want to know things about God. But you can tell God has been working in your life. So I just, I want to go through a couple of quick questions with you, three to be exact. When you said yes to God... Did you know, because you, you came from background of having said no to God, running from God, not knowing the real God, when you said yes to him, did you know that it was going to cost you? Yes. And it's like a 1,000 million percent billboard yes. I knew it was going to cost me the moment I decided to accept him into my heart because I, long story short, the way I came to know Jesus was I am a little bit of a doubting Thomas, so I needed to find all the evidence. And I, I, I determined that Jesus was a real human that walked this earth. And then I determined he was not a liar and he was actually the son of God based on all this evidence that I accumulated in my research. <laughs> and in that moment, I had to decide, was I going to continue my life in willful ignorance, suppressing that truth, or was I going to be like, yeah, I'm going to die to my old self and my old ways, and I'm going to pursue, I'm going to accept this, and it's going to become my truth. And in that moment, I knew, based on choosing to accept him, that everything was going to change. And I, it was going to be a ton of loss, but based on the desperate state I was in, I knew that the gain was going to be greater, which I'll touch on, I guess. Yeah, I think that leads us into our, our second question. So what you knew it was going to cost, like what are some, help us to understand your story a little bit. What, what are some things that it cost you to say yes to Jesus. You knew, you know, there's the story of the rich young ruler and obviously he was rich and he ruled stuff. 
Um, and Jesus said, sell all your stuff and follow me. So he knew immediately, I'm going to lose some of my influence and some of my finances. That's how, what happens a lot of times when God calls us. We know what he's calling us from. We just don't know where he's calling us to. So what were some things you knew? Okay, I am going to, here's some things I know immediately I'm going to have to give up or it's going to cost me. Um, without getting too detailed into like the nitty gritty of my story and saying like very specific things I lost, which you can ask me questions since you know a little bit more. Oh, I'm going to, there's one or two that people have to know about you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So details to come, but I felt like all of it really boiled down to when I thought about today, like reflecting on what did I have to lose? All the specifics really boiled down to power and adoration, like praise from the community and the people that I had, you know, worked to garner their praise from. And power being that I was just on a huge power trip before I was saved. Um, And then I was also steering the ship in my life into a direction of the direction being wherever is man's approval that is going to like rain down on me and make me feel like a, Mm -hmm. you know, adored um, is where I'm steering the ship. And so I really, the things that I had to lose were a community of people that just loved me um, because of the way I was like leading them. And um, I felt like I had run my business in a way that um, was very self-centered. It was all about me. It was all about what I could get from it. Um, And those are the two probably biggest things that Actually, I have something that I wrote that will probably be better if I just say it here for you guys. Um, so my North Star being people's opinions and the perception of power my life reflected. The more pedestals I could climb on, the more accolades I could collect, the more responsibility I could get on my plate, the more approval I could glean, the more praise that I could be showered with. It was my fuel and it was my addiction. But when you're saved, you allow the pedestal of Jesus to take that place. You allow the accolade of him being the alpha and the omega to shine, and you allow him to all of a sudden, you want to make him famous. You don't want to make yourself famous. But all that comes with loss of yourself, loss of praise, and loss of power that you think is going to bring you fulfillment. And I realized in my desperate um, time where I was saved that, God, why aren't these things fulfilling me? And uh, it's because they will never do that. <laughs> so let's, let me just give folks a little snapshot into what you mean when you ha- would have to give up some power. You have a NASA t-shirt on, it's a great, that's a great shirt. Did you ever have any other t-shirts maybe that you would have worn places, any? Like? Yeah, so. <laughs> Thanks, Thomas, for that. I, uh, I was running a community of women who uh, I was spearheading a community that grew f- to around 15 to 1,800 women in New York in a, in a matter of years. And it was me and four other girls kind of spearing this on. And um, it was a very liberalized, uh, liberal feminist agenda movement. Um, you could see me wearing future is female, my body, my choice. You could see me leading women's marches. You could see me leading events that um, glorified um, 
sexual immorality, that glorified pornography, that glorified, um, uh, oh my goodness, uh, idolatry to the nth degree. Like, you know, I could go into the crystals and the energy healings and all that, but it boils down to idolatry. And um, we were just on our power trip. Um, and yeah, I was, I was sporting some pretty great feminist uh, clothes at that time in my life. Um, that have been burned since. <laughs> Except for her cousin who showed up with one of her sweatshirts from back in the day at Thanksgiving this past week, and she was like, where'd you get that? And she was like, you gave it to me. It's my favorite sweatshirt. That was crazy. She walked in, the, she walked in Thanksgiving. She's like, this is the coziest sweatshirt. And I was like, where'd you get that? She's like, when I visited you in New York, you gave it to me. And I was like, oh my gosh, can I have that? Can I see that? I never let you wear it again. But no, it was, it was a harmless sweatshirt. It just brought me, brought me back real quick. Well, I think that what you see when you hear her say, I had to give up power, she was leading a movement with more than a thousand women following her. And you knew, I mean, you can just put yourself in those shoes, not just, not just lose that, but then there's shame that comes with that. There's you've turned your back on us. There's questioning and confusion. There is maybe even more personally this incredible loss of community, mm-hmm. which now it all makes sense why you were so happy that one Tuesday night you were like, I found my people. Um, so that rolls us into our, our third question. If you had to give all that up, and yet you knew intellectually and in your heart that God had sent Jesus. He is the Lord. He lived a perfect life. He died for your sins. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. You knew all that, but still you have all this. Why say yes? Yes. Um, to segue that, I actually wanted to, this one passage like said it really well. Uh, actually, it's in First Peter. Um, where... 1 Peter 4, 3 through 4, for the time that past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. It was like speaking to my soul. Um, With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. And that's basically saying that the people all of a sudden that you pull away from and refuse to partake in the debauchery that you, or the fun that you used to partake in them with, they not only don't understand, but they will, they will hate you for it. Um, not everyone, you know, I'm not going to slap that on, but that's what the scripture is saying, you know, they won't understand. Um, and so I knew I had all that to lose, but Um, and friends and community, but I was in a place where I, so much of my soul was empty and I was so, so desperate that it really came down to saying yes was twofold. One was recognition. Like I recognized that God was alpha and omega and it was like, who am I little old me to say to the creator of the universe, like, no thanks, not today. And it reminded me of like watching cartoons when I was growing up and there would be a character that's like walking all like confidently on screen and like a, a hand 
giant hand comes into the screen and like ping and like flicks the character off into oblivion and it just not that god would do that but just the the recognition of power that is in his like mighty hand who am i to say no so that was one and then the second point was just desperation i was at a point where um nothing was going to fulfill and i said like in my desperation and conviction of sin the weight of my sin literally crushed me and i was like so crushed in fetal position that i just was like god use me any way you want have your way because certainly i can't do it and um i said yes partly because of recognition of who he is and what he did for me and partly desperation i had like run out of fuel the addictions of praise power and all the other things didn't satisfy um and i hit a really dark place one cool morning or afternoon something like that that's such a common thing in in the stories that you hear of a conversion of someone who really really went after all the things they felt like they could get their hands around and take a hold of and make their own and they hit this dead end they hit this spot there it's such a common thing to hear about yes it was a slow burn to get there to the end but then this moment where god just wrecks somebody's life and he shows up in such a big strong way and yet you know he's not this menacing figure he can be but in that moment he's a father calling you back home yes couldn't say it better any regrets not a one i love really i there was too much to gain it reminds me of you know, Paul says to die is, to die, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Um, and that really, there was so much I lost. But when I think about how, like, how wonderful life with Christ is, not easy, but how wonderful and the peace I have knowing, like, I've got the, the creator of the universe walking beside me um, is just a gain that, yeah, no regrets. Let's hear it for our former feminist protester. I am excited for you to hear more of her story, and I'll, spoiler alert, when we get to the golden calf scene, I think it's gonna be the scene to call Catherine back up. Uh, just be careful if you and I are talking, um, I might be looking at you to think, hmm, maybe we could use their story. Because stories are powerful, and they illustrate the truth of God and the scriptures so well. So let me pray for us, and we'll look at Luke for a few minutes. Father, I thank you so much for what you've done in Catherine's life, and for what you've done in so many of our lives. I thank you that you've given us heroes of the faith. One of those we're going to look at tonight, Mary, who, Lord, she also was one who, with reckless abandon, said yes to you. And also one who, at the end of her days, looked back without regret, having been a part of your plan and your story. Lord, would you give us a heart to say yes to you? It's in Christ's name. Amen. So let's look at Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read just a few verses getting into verse 38. So we'll start actually a little further up in, uh, in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. 
And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, well, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the, child will be, therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold... Your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her whom was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let it be to me according to your word. This is what I was reading in my quiet time, and I got to this line, and it's such a familiar story. If you've been around church, if you've had any Advent studies, do we have any, do we have any current Advent studiers? Anybody doing some sort of Advent study? All right, I see a few of you. That's good. And a few of you are like, yeah, all right, that's good. You should do one. Uh, there, there's some great Advent studies. Advent is another word. If you didn't come from, from a tradition that used that word, Advent is just the Christmas story. And so there's Bible studies you can do around the Christmas story. This chapter is, is pivotal in the Christmas story. You have to read it. You have to study it to understand the Christmas story. And then you get to this line, and it just stopped me in my tracks when she said, let it be to me according to your word. It's simple. It's Mary saying that she's going to obey and follow God. And at the same time, it's, it's an easy, easy line to say, let it be in me according to your word. However, I think the question to all of us who are Christians is, do we say the same? I mean, when was the last time you had the fork in the road, you had two choices, and God was clearly directing you on one of those two paths, and it was not the path you would have chosen, and you said, let it be to me according to your word, and you walked down that path. I think for most of us, the answer would be no. I don't live my life this way. Most of my day, I spend doing what I want to do. Now, I know this is true. I know this is true, and I promise you this is true because I work for a church. My paycheck comes from a church. Like, I'm required to, like, know the Bible and be able to teach you. Like, it's, it's, it is my calling, and it's my job. It's this strange marriage. And before the end of every lunchtime, like, before we get to, like, 1.30 in the day, I look back and I'm like, I haven't thought about God since 10 a.m. So if I do that and I'm surrounded by Christians and I'm working at a church and I'm in that environment, I know it happens to you. I think some of us would say, you know, 
sometimes. The answer is sometimes. Obedience for me to the Lord, when I say, let it be to me according to your word, God, is when it's convenient. Like, for instance, I was praying for a date, and somebody asked me out, and I'm like, let it be according to your word, God. Let it be to me according to your word. This is good. I will follow you here. Like, like it's very easy to, like, walk in the easy obedience, the good things. But I think there's a few of you in the room that you heard this line and you heard Catherine's story and you said, with all your heart, let it be true of me, God. Let me be that person. In fact, now that I'm looking around the room, I actually think there's probably several of you. You really are trying to live your life like this. You're trying really hard to say, Yes, Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Let it happen just like how you want. And I just want to pause and commend you because you understand you are the clay and he is the potter and he's the one who gets to shape and mold. And I really appreciate that that's so many of you. You're a rare breed. And you probably don't get told enough, but like, I remember, like, I was in my, my college years, in my 20s, and I was sitting where you're sitting, and I was hearing, um, I was hearing Louis preach when we had 722, which was uh, a Tuesday night thing that started at 722. And anyway, like, we, he always has numbers for stuff. And so, like, I remember sitting there, and you would, I would hear words like this, and I was like, I want that to be me. I want that to be true of me. I want to be that person that says yes. And that's a bunch of you, and I'm just proud of you for that. For those of you that that's true of, I want you to know you fall into one of two categories, though. And I'll use Catherine as an example. Catherine's the kind of person that some of you and I, we walk up to and we're like, what, tell me what you're, how, like, tell me about your prayer life. What do you do? Tell me about your Bible. Like, what kind of Bible is that? Oh, your journal. Oh, that's a great journal. Um, tell me about this. Tell me about, oh, how did you make a decision about your job? You left that one thing and you're doing this thing. Like, how did you make that decision? You're a person that some people gravitate to. And they gravitate to you because they see God working in your life. And when they see God working in your life and they see the joy overflow on your face, they're like, I need to find that person. I need to talk to that person. It's called the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. But you're also equally going to be the person some people despise and they don't even know why. Let me read you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In 2 Corinthians 2.15, Paul says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. And to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For those of you that are like, really living for the Lord, you have a strong odor about you. And another person who is living for the Lord can sense that, and they're drawn to that, and they're like, I smell Christ on you. Let's, let's just kind of let Christ waft, and let's enjoy the moment. And that's part of the reason that some of you are like, I don't know what I like about them, but I just like them. We're so different, but like, we just, this is great. 
And there's this sweetness. That's why the other night, like at Friendsgiving, I could have gone home and gone to bed and you would have been just fine because you're like, this is just good. But there are other people, and some of them you work with, some of them you were in a home with last Thursday in Thanksgiving, and they're part of your family. Some of you, like, you're like, I don't know why, but that person is just angry, vindictive, mean, cold. I'm not sure what it is. And when you choose to live fully for the Lord, you also carry the strong smell that reminds people that they are dead in their sins. And so I think Mary was a polarizing figure when she said yes to the Lord. And I think we have to ask the question, why could Catherine say yes? Why could Mary say yes? Maybe for Mary, it was the, the power of this angelic visit. Maybe for Mary, it was because God's plan was so clear. If, I don't know if any of you are praying for God's will. If you're like, Lord, just show me your will. Um, I had a friend, he, he is, his name was William, and he would introduce himself as I'm God's will for your life. Anyway, um, that's, he, it didn't work very well. But anyway, he, uh, that's how he would introduce himself to some girls. But anyway, it was a tech thing, apparently. Bless his heart. And so, I'm just kidding, you tech guys. I'm just jealous. Uh, but I do think that, that maybe, maybe it was one of those two things. She was able to say yes to God because God made his plan very clear. Or maybe it was because of this angelic visit. But I actually think there was another reason she was able to say yes. Because when you say yes to God, you say no to something else. You have to say no to something else. You can't say yes to God and yes to the other stuff. Catherine just told you a little bit of her story. She couldn't say yes to God and yes to her feminist lifestyle that she was living. Like she couldn't, the two didn't work together. And so she says yes to the Lord, Mary. And what does that mean? It means she dies the death of a thousand lost dreams on the spot. Mary is now, just think about the women in her town. She's lost their respect. Think about the men in her town. Oh, there's that girl that's either hooking up with Joseph or somebody else. Think about Mary's parents. The deep shame and disappointment, I mean, None of your mom and dads are believing that, like, it was a virgin birth, right? Like a virgin kiss. Like, nope. It, it wasn't common then. Let's just go ahead and make that clear. It's not common now. Like, nobody's believing, like, yeah, like, she was a good kid. She's a liar now. But, like, okay. Like, I mean, it's a mess. Then there's Joseph, and she might lose him altogether, and so when she says yes to the Lord, she dies the death of a thousand lost dreams in the process. And so uh, one of the guys I work with um, at Christ Covenant, Blake, he was the host pastor on Sunday. He said sometimes his wife will say that like she feels a certain way. And he said, and I may have told you this before, but it, it's just a funny line. He'll say, I, I see how you feel that way. People have felt that way before, but what we have found is, and I'm like, does that work? And he's like, no, it does not work at all. I'm like, well, you need to stop saying that. And so he, like the, the feel felt found, I think Mary probably had all the feels. 
And we can understand why she felt that way, that struggle of do I say yes to this or do I say no? But I think in that moment, in her moment and in my moments and in your moments of do I say yes to the Lord or not? Like, do I, like, am I supposed to break up with that person? I really feel uncomfortable. I really feel convicted. Do I do it or do I not? Because it's convenient and better and easier to stay in that. Do I hold out for the right person? Do I keep praying for the right job? Like, how, like all the things. In those moments of follow the Lord or don't, may it, be, may it be to me according to your word, in those moments, I think we have to, to not go with all the feels. Now, I probably feel as much as any guy in the room. Like my dad is an engineer, and he used to tell me, you need to stop feeling and start doing. And I was like, yes, sir. That hurts my feelings. And so like... <laughs> Uh, and Heather, sometimes we kind of switch roles. Sometimes she's like, get it together, Thomas. And I'm like, yes, get it together. And she'll like state the facts. And I'm like, I'm looking at it right here. I really appreciate that, sweetheart. And I'm like, that's right. We will not go with the feels. We will go with the facts. I think Mary went with the facts. And I think her facts went back to this book. And so if you're a journaler or a note taker, here's the chapter I want you to go back and I want you to read. It's Psalm 145. I just was <clears throat> thinking about this and, and praying about it and just wondering like, what, would, what Psalm would Mary read? And um, I came across Psalm 145 and Psalms were popular because they were sung. And so these are songs people would sing and Psalm 145 would have been a common psalm to sing. So she may very well have had this psalm in her head and in her heart. But there's a few verses to this Psalm 145 that are so powerful. I think if you look at, at verse four, one generation shall commend your works to one another and shall declare your mighty acts. I wonder if she thought, this is one of God's mighty acts that he's doing. And generations down the road are going to declare this mighty act. And my parents may never understand. The men in this town may never get me. The women may never stop talking about me. But if this is a mighty act of God, let me be a part of it. I think verse 7, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. I wonder if she thought, okay, this seems like a mean thing that God is doing to me. Yes, it's a great privilege to carry the Son of God, but it sure does seem mean that it has to be this way. And there has to be so much confusion behind what's going on inside of me as this baby grows. And that's a normal feeling, but the facts are found in this verse when it says that God has abundant goodness. And I think it's beautiful that they would look back and she, she might have looked back and, and heard the lyrics going through her mind of this psalm and she was like, he is abundantly good. I may not feel like this is an abundantly good thing, but he is doing an abundantly good work and I wanna be a part of his abundant good works. 
The whole psalm is, is laced with these. I'll go to the verse 9, and that'll be the last one for this psalm. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. I wonder if Mary, in that moment of do I say yes to him or do I not, even thought about this verse, God, you are good to all, and you are being good to me by asking me to make this decision. And his mercy is over all that he has made. So when he asks you to make a hard decision, he doesn't just say, make the decision. I'm looking at Noah, and so I'm just going to say his name because I'm looking at him. Uh, did I not pick on you a few weeks ago? Yeah, I did. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, Noah and I have known each other a long time. We got good history. So if Noah has to make a hard decision, he has to know. And I wonder if Mary knew, you know what? His mercy will accompany me in the decision-making. God doesn't just say, Noah, go make a decision. Come back and tell me how it went. God will give him a specific thing to do and to follow. And then God will accompany him with his mercy in the process. Let me show you a picture of Mary's town. There's three slides, Brandon. We'll go to the, uh, there, here's the, so this is the Church of the Annunciation. Uh, this is where Heather and I have been here. This is, uh, it's in Nazareth. It's in the Galilee area, kind of near the Sea of Galilee. You can't see the Sea of Galilee from there. But this is the Church of the Annunciation. They've built a big church here. They build churches everywhere in Israel, wherever they think something might have happened. And, uh, but we're pretty sure this is actually where Mary lived and where the angel spoke to her. So now let's, let's zoom in a little bit. Next view. If you go inside the Church of the Annunciation, here's what you see. It's a, they're all Catholic churches pretty much. So you get this, um, it, there's a lot of formalities and a lot of, of stations in these churches. But here you get to a big walled off area and you look down and the church continues down a whole nother story. And so let's go to the next one. What these people are looking at here is this. Folks believe, it didn't quite look like this exactly, but as best people can tell, this is the place where the angel talked to her. Now, how many of you girls had your own bedroom growing up? Okay, so a lot of you had your own bedroom. We don't know that Mary had her own bedroom, but there's a good chance she was home alone. And part of the reason for that is because she's a teenager. I don't know what age you normally think of Mary being, but step it down to like 14 or 15. So now we're talking about a kid. We're not talking about a 25 or 30 year old woman. We're talking about a kid in this little room and the angel appears to her and says, Mary, I have the best opportunity for you and also the hardest decision you'll ever make. Mary didn't know. Nine months from now, this decision is gonna involve being in a cave with animal dung on the ground giving birth without her mom and without a midwife, with a 20-something-year-old dude who knew nothing about that world. 
She didn't know that shortly after that, they were going to have to go to Egypt for a few years to run from Herod the Great. Now, God didn't promise her a perfect path. But he also didn't tell her all the stuff that was going to come. And some of you are like, I want to say yes to the Lord. I have said yes to the Lord. And you're more like in the exodus that Mary and Joseph and Jesus had down to Egypt. And you're like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. We look, just stay the course. We know the end of this story. We just don't know the end of yours. But we know he is abundantly good. And we know he will follow you with his mercy through the path he's asked you to walk for his purpose and his glory because it's not really your story. It's his that you get to be a part of. There, were, there definitely were sweet moments in the process, though. Like when she gave birth and her first baby shower was thrown by a bunch of shepherds. When the wise men showed up and gave them a whole bunch of money, basically, which funded their trip down to Egypt and probably brought them back home as well. The Lord took care of them. Somebody always showed up at the right time. Somebody always stepped in just when they thought it was going to fall apart. Look, a willing heart is not a heart that's, ah, oh, my life's been great, it's perfect, I'm ready to, to just walk into the next thing God has for me. That's not a willing heart. A God-honoring heart, and I had this written out for you, a God-honoring heart is one that's ready to walk away from what is from what is, uh, from, from the unknown waters, I'm sorry, did I spell that wrong? A God-honoring heart is one that's ready to walk away from what is into the unknown waters of God, which are littered with a thousand of my dreams that have drowned. I think Mary had to know my dreams are falling apart. God has a new path for me. Which one is going to hold me up at the end? You know, I'm reading this book um, called uh, Lords of the Fly, not the one you're thinking. It's called Lords of the Fly. It's a fly fishing book, and it's these guys in, uh, in, in, uh, in Homosassa, Florida, of all places. It's in the middle of these three rivers, and a buddy of mine bought a house there, and I've gone down a few times fishing with him, and we've been in this, uh, we've been in this place where, like, these legends of fly fishing used to fly fish. In the 70s and 80s, like, all the world record tarpon were caught there, and I had my first tarpon fishing trip this past year. And, uh, and I, I was, after the tarpon fishing trip, I was like, oh, let me, let me read this book. And, uh, and then I felt like I had found the heroine of the outdoor world. I was like, tarpon fishing is it. The first five minutes of being on the front of this polling skiff out in the, the Oklahoma flat in Homosassa, the guide said, no, I won't use his words because their words aren't nice. Um, but <clears throat> he told me in a very encouraging way to go ahead and cast. And I was like, like, he 
very forcefully, like I had no choice. I was like, I'm casting, but I didn't cast because I was like at the dolphin and he was like, that's a tarpon. And I'm like, they're that big. And I like, I, I mean, like it's not a brim or a bass. Like it's like, a, it's like you're throwing to a dolphin and you're it's just a, I can't describe it unless you've been there. It just will blow your mind. And these fish roll in and they gulp this air. And you're thinking, if I catch one, my whole existence will be worthwhile. And uh, like it's, and so it kind of like slips into your blood. It really is like heroin. And you start thinking, you start thinking, man, I wonder, I wonder if I could like do this all the time. And, uh, and I wonder, and here's, this is my thoughts. Are you ready? I wrote them down and I'm not going to read them because they're too embarrassing, but I'll just tell you them. My thoughts were, it went like this. I have one day, one day, eight hours on a boat. I wonder how much money I could leverage towards this. Heather doesn't have to know how much it cost. Yeah. I wonder how much money I could leverage towards this and like I'll buy Heather some other stuff and like buy myself more stuff. And then like when, when is tarpon season? It's May and June. I wonder how much young adult ministry I can schedule opposite of that so that I could, these are legit thoughts that I had. And, and I, I thought, wow, why am I thinking this? And I didn't stop. And I kept going down this path And that's how you get to a place where you start saying no to the plans of God and yes to your own dreams. And fortunately, my friend Andrew, who, who took me fishing, I, I was, I, I, he handed me the book, Lords of the Fly, and I started reading it then, and then I put it down for a long time. And I read the first chapter, and I was so sad because these guys had the same thoughts I did in the book. And then they wasted, literally wasted their life on fishing and cocaine and hanging out and carousing with a bunch of women. Like, they literally wasted, they, would, they died down there, like in washed-up hotel rooms. And there's a great line in that book. Uh, he says, angling as in life, it is the ones that get away that haunt our dreams, that push us over the edge into lustful madness. Let me tell you, when you start saying yes to your dreams and you start saying no to the things of the Lord, you have entered into the world of lustful madness. You have entered into the vortex of absurdity that will spiral you out of control and you will come unglued and you will fly all over the place and you will be the one who did it. Because sin, when it is conceived, gives birth to death. Jesus said it more succinctly. He said, nobody can serve two masters. He's either going to hate the one or he's going to love the other. I think in Protestantism, we've minimized Mary just to kind of like stick it to the man of Catholicism. And we need to realize Mary was awesome. I mean, what a woman. Now, she wasn't perfect. 
She has a couple of moments in Cana. She seems like a little bit aggressive, making Jesus do this miracle. And then, uh, and then she like at one point was like to his brothers and sisters, like, go get him. He's lost his mind when he was preaching one day. Like she wasn't perfect, but she was amazing. She was the mother of God. She was highly favored, chosen among women. And here's the reason Mary was awesome. She didn't serve two masters. She just served one. And even though that one cost her her dreams, she got to be an incredible part of his dreams. And as a result, was more fulfilled in that than she could have ever been on her own. I think it was the fact that Mary went the distance. She was willing to walk away from herself. And by the way, it's not your dreams that are the hardest thing to walk away from, it's you. You're the hardest thing to walk away from. We mask it in a thousand other ways, a million other ways maybe, but really at the end of the day, it's either me or God. It's not that person or that job or that thing or that, it's either me or him. That's your greatest battle. And so, I think maybe, maybe you can relate. Maybe you've been choosing me a little more than him and there's been more talk than walk in your life. Let me give you an encouraging passage here. Jesus told this story in Matthew 21. He said, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. And the son said, I will not. That's a clear answer. But later, the son changed his mind, and he went and worked in the field. And then the father went to the other son and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir. But he never went to the field. Then Jesus said, which of the two did what his father wanted? And the folks responded, the first. So it doesn't matter what your track record is. It's a new night and tomorrow's a new day. And I think we have to go back to the question of, am I gonna say, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That was Catherine's whole story. Or will we say, Lord, let it be to me, me. Our hope, by the way, is not in your responses. Our hope is not in how many times you've said, yes, let it be to me according to your word. When you get to heaven, you're not gonna stand before the Lord and say, my hope is that I did enough good stuff, that I said yes enough, that I eventually learned to, that God was greater than me and I denied myself and I took up my cross and I followed him. I eventually learned that I only had one master. I didn't want two because nobody can have two. And I, you know, I, yes, God, I took the hard path. My hope is in none of those things because no matter what, you're gonna have ebbs and flows, ups and downs, highs and lows. Your hope and my hope is in Mary's son. He's the one who always said yes. He's the one who always followed his father. He's the one that always 
always said, not my will, but your will be done. He's the one that went to the cross for us. All of my hopes, all of my yeses to God, all of the no's that I have made to God, all of that, the good and the bad, all of our hope relies totally on him. And that's where we resolve tonight. So I want us to shift from you saying yes. Okay, I'm going to be a person who says, let it be to me according to your word. I want us to stop right there. And I hope that's true of all of you. But right now, I want our, 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 our hope to just completely shift and shift to the one who always said, let it be to me according to your word, to the man himself. So don't put your hope in, I want to be like Catherine, or I want to do the right thing, or I want to say yes, I want to follow this person. Don't put your hope in any of that. For just a minute, I want you to completely, fully put your hope in the man himself, in Jesus, the one who always says, let it be to me according to your word, the one who is the good shepherd, the one who when you run from him, he runs after you. Don't put your hope in your bad track record that you could never get it right. Don't put your hope in how good you've been and how much you've denied and how many dreams you've lost in following God. You just put your hope in him. Our theme verse for this whole year, I've used it off and on, has been Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Let's pray. Father, you are our hope. And Lord, because you are our hope, Help us to say, let it be to me according to your word. Lord, I thank you that you are the good shepherd. I thank you that you always said yes. I thank you that our hope rests solely on you and your ability and your strength. Father, you are good. Would you visit us strongly with your spirit as we wrap up tonight, as we sing to you a couple more songs. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.